sermon text for this morning is Luke chapter 19, verses 20 through 40. It's a text that describes the first Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem during the last week of his uh, earthly life. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. And there we read, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage at Bethany, the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way, down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. As we consider this passage this morning, I want us to see that it very clearly teaches us about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage serves to draw our attention to Christ and to the ministry that he came to fulfill. As we consider this passage, I want us to first see who Jesus very clearly says that he is, who Jesus says that he is. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus declared himself to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Sometimes uh, it was very obvious. For example, we read in John chapter 8, verse 58, when uh, Jesus said to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am. When Jesus said this, uh, it was very clear what he was saying. Uh, Jesus, in this saying, was claiming to be the one who was alive before Abraham. Before Abraham, who uh, lived more than 2,000 years before Jesus was born. And note in this verse in John chapter 8, verse 58, that Jesus doesn't say, Uh, Before Abraham was, I was, implying that he had been alive for more than 2,000 years. Uh, No, what Jesus says is, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is speaking here of his eternity, that he transcends time because he is God. And even that phrase, I am, it's a phrase that we are very familiar with, with as Christians, uh, because this is the way that God identified himself to Moses from the burning bush 
in Exodus chapter 3. You remember when Moses asked God that very, very important question. He says to God, so uh, let's say that I do go to the people of Israel and I tell them that the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to lead you out of slavery in Egypt. Let's say I do this, God. And then they ask me, uh, what's his name? Moses asked God, what should I tell them? What should I reply? And what was God's response to Moses? We read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Say to this people, I am has sent me to you. And the Lord Jesus uses this same name of himself here in John chapter 8, verse 58, but also throughout the Gospel of John demonstrating that he is not only kind of like God, but he is God, the same God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. And so throughout the Gospels, Jesus spoke of his true identity as the Messiah, as the Son of God. But what's amazing, loved ones, what's amazing is that Jesus didn't just say it, he didn't just go around saying, I am the Messiah, the Son of God. But he also demonstrated it very vividly uh, through his miracles and through his symbolic actions throughout his ministry. You know, that's what we see here in this account of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That here, rather than using words, uh, Jesus uses very intentional symbolism symbolism that was very familiar to the Jews of his day, to declare his true identity as the Messiah. Some scholars talk about this as a living parable that Jesus was acting out. Now, an example might, of this might be something like uh, the president of the United States. You know, it's one thing for the president to come out and say over and over, uh, I am the president, I am the president. I am the president. And we hear that and we say, yeah, we got it, right? Um, we hear him say it and we understand that. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a completely different thing for him to not say anything, but to ride around town in the presidential limousine uh, with little flags hanging from the car, uh, with men in black suits walking alongside the limousine, right, with things in their ears, Um, And then SUVs in front and the back of the limousine and then police officers on motorcycles around the limousine. That that is very symbolic. He doesn't have to say anything. We see that and we know that man is the president of the United States. We see it in the symbolism. And it's the same with uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem um, so long ago. There is so much symbolism in this grand entry, that his actions spoke louder uh, than words that day. Because we see that Jesus deliberately chose to enter Jerusalem in a very specific way, not quietly, not secretly, but openly, boldly, in a very intentional manner, as we've noted. We read about his entrance again in Luke chapter 19 beginning at verse 28, and I'll read to verse 35. And again, note how intentional 
the setup is that Jesus creates for his triumphal entry. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So we see here that Jesus sends two of his followers to a nearby village, again, to bring a colt on which he will sit for his entrance in Jerusalem. And this is, again, very intentional symbolic actions. There are two things specifically that I want us to see. Uh, There's many minor details in the passage, but two things are very obvious to us uh, if we uh, notice them this morning. First, what Jesus does here is he fulfills a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The prophecy there that Israel's future messianic king would enter Jerusalem on a colt. We read in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous, and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was prophesied that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem in this way, and Jesus is fulfilling this very clear prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, uh, through his actions. Secondly, this entrance into Jerusalem was similar to King Solomon's entrance. When King Solomon was declared king, we read in the Old Testament that when Solomon's father, David, wanted everyone to know that Solomon was his successor, we read in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 33 through 35, that the king said to them, to his carers, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule, ride on my own donkey, and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok, the priest, And Nathan, the prophet there, anoint him king over Israel. And you know, as was mentioned in Sunday school this morning, it's hard to read this and not to hear Handel's uh, coronation anthems, right, ringing in your ears. And the passage continues, Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live the king! He shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. The people in Jerusalem that day uh, knew what Jesus was doing. For us, these might not be as obvious, right? But for those in the first century, those Jewish pilgrims in Jerusalem during that week, they knew exactly what all this meant. They knew Zechariah 9.9. They knew 1 Kings chapter 3. You know, it was as clear to them that day as that image of the president in his motorcade is to us today. These Jewish pilgrims in Jerusalem, 
knew the scriptures. And so they saw Jesus there. They had heard about his miracles. They had heard rumors about his teachings and his declarations about his identity. They saw him riding this colt, and they saw him riding into Jerusalem, and the equation all equaled out to the fact that he is the Messiah. And so, loved ones, why is all of this? Why is all of this important for us to consider today? Well, it's important for us to consider today because there is a false teaching today that says Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God, that he never claimed to be the Messiah. Some say that you know, he was just a regular guy, uh, did a lot of good things, a lot of nice things. He said some wise uh, things. He taught people how to be kind and loving. Um, but he never actually said that he was God. And in fact, it was the early church, his followers, who made him out to be uh, God. Jesus never said this of himself. In fact, he wasn't all that special. Uh, it was the people who came after him that elevated him to a divinity. Um, and you know, this false teaching is popular, especially around this time of year. As uh, this Easter season, as more and more people are thinking about uh, Jesus more than other times of the year. And yet, loved ones, as we consider this false teaching, what we see when we compare it to Scripture and the evidence of Scripture is that it is very clear that this teaching is false. Because not only did Jesus speak uh, very often of his identity as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, but his miracles and his actions, especially this one, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, all testified to the fact, to the truth of who he was and who he is. That Jesus is Lord. That he is King. This is a truth that doesn't change based on people's opinions or on misinformation. It's true, no matter what people think. Jesus is king. He said it, and he demonstrated it throughout his ministry. So, loved ones, as we think about that, I want us to consider who the crowds in the uh, passage this morning that we are, are considering, who the crowd said Jesus uh, was. What did they understand that day? As we look at verses 36 through 40 of Luke chapter 19. And as he rode along, we read, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Loved ones, what we see in these verses is that the crowds misunderstood what Jesus had come to Jerusalem to accomplish. Because what they believed was that Jesus was there to lead a military and a political revolt against Rome 
and to ultimately reestablish the Jews in the land. What the crowds expected on that first Palm Sunday was a political king and not a suffering king. Their understanding of the Messiah was that he would be a military leader, and what they were seeking ultimately was a kingdom that was earthly, a geopolitical, physical kingdom that they could lay hold of as a people. And we see this because of the way that they responded to Jesus' actions that day. Uh, By, for example, spreading their garments on the road, what the crowd was doing that day was they were giving Jesus a royal salute. They were, in a sense, rolling out the royal red carpet for this now uh, coming king. A very similar thing happened when, in the Old Testament, Jehu was named king over Israel. We read in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, that every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So the people are repeating this, this symbolic action, declaring Jesus as king of Israel. Again, a geopolitical king, not a spiritual one. And Luke uh, does not mention this, but uh, John mentions that the crowd also laid down leafy branches, palm branches that they cut from the fields. And, and the crowd in doing this was a very important action because uh, such branches were used by Israel uh, during the intertestamental period. That's the period between the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament. During the intertestamental period to uh, celebrate military victories. It was during that period that palm branches became the national symbol for Israel, for Israel's freedom and pride and nationalism. You know, it's very similar to the way that countries use flags today to celebrate uh, national days and military victories, right? Wave those flags. Palm branches were uh, very uh, similarly used by Israel in the first century. And so when the people celebrated Jesus with the palm branches, they were showing their desire to be delivered from oppression, from Roman oppression. That they wanted Jesus to lead a battle against Rome and to establish the rightful reign of Israel over the land that God had given them. And so, loved ones, by all of these things, the crowd was revealing that they were expecting this political king. And even what they said that day was very important to consider. We read in Luke 19, verse 38, they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This verse is from Psalm 118. Uh, We read the psalm at the beginning of our worship service. This is a, a verse that was chanted often in connection with the expected messianic kingdom. Um, And the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 11, verse 10, also adds that the crowd said, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Loved ones, all of these things point to the fact that the crowd was expecting a geopolitical earthly king, one that ruled like David, one that ruled 
like Solomon, one that would rule and bring back prosperity, earthly prosperity, to the people of Israel. In fact, one commentator says that so frequently were these words sung and repeated during the various feasts of Israel that they had become practically the fight song for the Jewish Independence Party. The crowds clearly misunderstood who Jesus was because, loved ones, we know, we know that the Lord Jesus did not come on that first advent to set up an earthly kingdom. We know that he is a king, but that he rules a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, that he said so clearly in John chapter 8, a kingdom that is not established by physical means and physical power, but that is established by a spiritual power. He, when he came to this world, he came not with all the pomp and regalia of an earthly king, but he came humbly. He came peacefully. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The Apostle Paul speaking of the fact that we become rich through the poverty of the Lord Jesus. It's a kingdom that is very different from the kingdoms of this earth. And it's different in the fact that it grows in a different way from the kingdoms of this earth. It grows not with swords and guns and tanks and missiles, all these things that we equate with political power these days, these uh, symbols of worldly power. But the kingdom of Christ, loved ones, grows through spiritual means. It grows through the preaching of the word. It grows through the sacraments like our laid before us this morning and through prayer. The kingdom grows, says the Apostle Paul, through the foolishness of preaching. Our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds, spiritual strongholds. And we think about the misunderstanding of the crowds that day, and we can think also about how so many still misunderstand who Jesus is. If we were to interview 100 people, random people, on the street today, asking that question, who is Jesus? Uh, You can imagine how many various answers we might receive. Answers like, uh, he was a a good teacher. He said some interesting things. Um, He said some things that were really nice, taught us how to be kind. Uh, Very few loved ones, very few will say that he is God. And even fewer will say that he is the only way of salvation. Loved ones, this is where we see that the misunderstanding of the crowds persists, right? And that's why we, as the people of God, need to be diligent in worshiping him as God, worshiping Christ, and telling other people the truth about him. See, that not only did people in the crowd that day misunderstand who he was, but there were some who were 
openly opposed to him. We read about the Jewish religious leaders in John chapter 11, verse 47 through 53, among, about those who were in Jerusalem that day. We read that the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. This is before the triumphal entry. They gathered together and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The Jewish religious leaders were afraid that Jesus might incite political riots in Jerusalem, causing the Romans to retaliate violently against the Jewish nation, take away perhaps some of the freedoms that the Jews enjoyed under Roman rule. Now, this was their concern, and so we, we read about what the religious leaders decided to do to Jesus. In John chapter 11, verse 49 and following, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. For from that day on, the Jewish religious leaders made plans to put Jesus to death. The response of the religious leaders to Jesus was to reject him, to oppose him. Violently. Loved ones, this is the same response that we so often see to Jesus today. People who hear the gospel, and it's not that they don't understand it, but they hear it and they have a hard hearted rejection to it, violent opposition to Christ. We see this not just in our own nation, but especially in nations in the world that are overrun by the Muslim faith, by Islam. But I want to ask you, loved ones, this morning, who, who do you say Jesus is? We see what the crowds believed that day, what the religious leaders believed. I want to ask you this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? This is a very important question that Jesus confronted his own disciples with. We read in Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 29, that Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, This is Jesus now confronting them directly, but who do you say that I am? And we know what Peter's response was that day, that you are the Christ. Loved ones, when Jesus asked this of his disciples, it wasn't because he was taking a poll to boost his ego, right? Kind of see what people are talking about. Uh, No, what Jesus was doing is he was pushing his disciples to confess his name, pressing his disciples to confess the truth of who Jesus is. And he does the same for you and me today because loved ones, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
and loved ones. As Jesus said, if we are silent, the very stones will cry out. This very true declaration of Jesus' identity. And what we see, what we see in the triumphal entry that day, so many years ago, is that Jesus came in peace. He came in peace. And that is the reason for the donkey. Do you ever ask yourself, well, why a donkey? Because Jesus, by riding into Jerusalem that day on a donkey, was showing that he came in peace. This was a sign of his coming in peace. Horses were the animals of choice for military activities, for warlords, and for violent emperors. But Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, showing that he had come to bring peace between God and man by dying on the cross for his people's sins. See, not waging a war against the kingdoms of this world, but waging a war against the evil forces that enslave this world. And so what we see in all this, loved ones, is that Jesus has come in peace. And therefore, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to put your faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, the King of peace. Because we read, we read in the scriptures that there will be a second advent, a second coming of Christ, when he will return. And we read that in that return, he will not come in peace on a donkey. But he is going to come in judgment, riding a war horse, declaring judgment over his enemies. We read this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. And as I read, compare what John describes in Revelation chapter 19 to what we read about this, the triumphal entry of Jesus in Luke chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Fearful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, loved ones. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich truths of your word that so clearly reveal Jesus Christ and reveal the way of salvation. Lord, we pray that you would grant us faith, that you would increase our faith, Lord, and that you would be with us now, Lord, as we partake of this spiritual feast that you have laid before us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.